welcome to the Leader Growth Podcast today. I'm David Skidmore. The Leader Growth Podcast is designed to help you overcome challenges and experience transformation. And today I am really excited because I am talking to someone who has done that his entire life. And you're going to love hearing from him. He just this past weekend got off the TEDx Oklahoma City stage. You'll be able to hear his talk in the very near future. We could go into a lot of things, but instead we'll jump into that as far as the conversation goes. My friend, welcome to the Leader Growth Podcast, Eric Rutengabo Muhizi. Good to see you, man. Oh, good to see you. Yeah. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, thanks for joining today. Oh, it's an honor. Yeah, so you just gave a talk of a lifetime. How are you feeling? Oh man, I'm still living. I'm still reliving through yeah. the whole experience. Uh, this takes me back to 2019, mm. uh, the first time that I attended TEDx yes. as a uh, audience and slash drummer. You were a drummer. I was a up drummer. there with Brad Bandy, right? With all the group, with yeah. all the crew. Yeah. And then I left from that place, saying, "Man, it would be an honor one day to be a speaker." Mm-hmm. But little did I know, three years later. Uh, I could be one of the speaker. If we look back, 2019, this is mm. supposed to happen 2019. Yeah. But we all know what happened in 2019, yeah. COVID here. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I feel like it was God's purpose because mm-hmm. I don't think I was ready then. Yeah. I remember the first time meeting you at the <laughs> Coffee Slinger. At Coffee Slinger. And then bringing out just the story, and it mm. wasn't like the way it was written. Mm-hmm. Now I just kind of putting all information, mm-hmm. you know putting them together but once you hit me back this year yeah man i was like i'm ready to go and you came like, in on day one you were memorized I mean, that's like five months ago I, right. I think so okay go, going back eric i think one of the things that i admire a lot about you is as a leader uh as a person uh who is embracing your purpose you're reputation your character uh your your life integrity goes before you you don't know this but when i was trying to find who should be speakers a few years ago right that's when emily whitson then now emily morris was like oh you you have to hear eric muhizi he's incredible the crazy thing is um somebody asked me a couple days ago how did you meet david yeah and I, i don't think i ever asked you that question Literally, I went back to 2019. I'm like, how did this, how did I <laughs> meet this guy? How did he get my contact? Yeah. Like, I tried to figure out, but I couldn't. I was like, yeah. it's not from Brad. I don't think so. No, it but wasn't Brad. I, I didn't even, uh, is it Emily you just said? Yeah, Emily. I didn't know. I was like, I'm going to ask you today. Like, yeah. how did you hear about me? And then now that you brought it up, I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Makes well, sense. my my experience in, in working with a lot of speakers now over the past four years is that the best moments happen when other people refer speakers to us, right? Uh, because that means that the speaker is, isn't just giving a talk. That means that somebody believes in who they are and what they're bringing to to the table. So I want to jump into your talk because you say some really powerful things. I've spent enough time with you that I almost <laughs> feel like if you start, I can say it along with you. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the the first ten <clears throat> seconds. How does it start? Well, the, oh, the way this, uh, yeah, yeah. Childhood. What is childhood? Yeah. When you hear the term childhood, what is the first thing that you think of? Now, when you said, what is childhood? Why did you want to start with this idea of childhood? Why did you want to bring people into that moment? 
there's a great uh, there's a greatest uh, writer once said there's two things that matters in life mm. the day you were born and the day you find out why we all go through childhood everybody yeah. and everybody has a different experience mm-hmm. so for me to start off that yeah i feel like my childhood was taken away from me before i even knew that it was yeah, childhood your childhood was taken away With, from you right when you were really young very young your father said something to you you're right and what what I thought was was interesting. Most most people don't have this gift. You have a, a unique gift on being able to like remember things and memorize. What what was it when when you were really little? Like you, when I was young, I think like I said in my speak, yeah. I believe I was born with a gift of retaining information. Yes, at a very early age. Yes, you know I remember back home at two years old, visitors would come at home mm. just to hear me. You know, naming all the capital cities of African countries. Yeah. And oh my of, goodness! And of course, I utilized that against my siblings because I felt like because <laughs> I felt like I was the smartest. Yeah, and then absolutely. having my parents having all these guests coming in and just to hear me, it was just like that extra boost that somebody needed. Yeah. But then when my father told me, "Hey, son, one day you will rule the nation." Yeah. You know that meant a lot to me. Yeah, you said it meant a lot to you, even in in the talk. Right. What What did that do inside of your heart? It, it, not only because he saw a vision in me, but because yeah. he believed in me. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that having that father figure in mm-hmm. your life and somebody that is pushing mm-hmm. you and telling you that he believes in you, it makes you work harder. Or it makes you even vision yeah. way different than you could. Imagine at two years old, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just a kid that really don't know what's going on or yeah. even saying things that I'm not supposed to send at that age. Mm-hmm. You know, with that gift that I was gifted, yeah. Obviously, I wouldn't take away from from it. It's God-given gift. Yeah. And then just having that father figure, mm-hmm. that father coming into your life and say, hey, son, one day you will the nation. Mm-hmm. You know, that meant a lot to me. You yeah. know, knowing that they're going to pass down the torch and allow me to carry on, which is what I'm living in today. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing what my father said back then when I was two years old and to see where I am right now with the whole story, yes. the family said, hey, take over, we wow. pass down the torch to you, carry on, represent us, represent our country, our tradition. That's why he meant one day you will rule the nations. Yes. As I'm reflecting through my whole life, yeah. I'm like, yes, it didn't happen back then, but it's happening right now. It's happening now. And I'm loving it. We, we think about rule, we, we think about influence. Right. We think about shaping things. We think about, you know, I, I think about your, your talk. Your talk is going to shape lives, not just the, the people who are there to experience it on that day, but your talk is going to, to shape lives beyond because you're, you're talking about um, some very difficult things. You said a, just a, a few moments ago that your childhood was stolen from you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, on August fourteenth, nineteen ninety-eight, yeah, uh, the atmosphere changed in our, in our environment mm-hmm. or in our village, uh, due to the government officials who started, yeah, uh, attacking our village. But at the same time, this is the same government that we we, we known that we played with, interacted with, and just enjoyed time with them as normal citizens. Uh, at two years old, I didn't ask the life that I went through. I didn't ask for it. It's a life that that mm. gave me no choice, Yeah, you know? So for me, knowing that my childhood was taken away from that, mm-hmm. it was too early, but I don't, I don't want to say that I regret it because my past mm. is what shaped me to be who I am today. 
Yeah. You know, so at two years old, when my childhood was taken is when our village was attacked. It's like I learned to be a man at a very yeah. young age, mm. which I wasn't supposed to do. Yes. Right now, I'm barely learning what is childhood mm. through my nieces. Like wow. when I hang out with them now, I'm like, yeah. would this would this have been me if yeah. I had this life? If I didn't go through what I went through, would I have enjoyed what they're doing? So I'm like reliving my childhood within my nieces. Yeah, what's which that like? Is, which is like, sometimes I get emotional, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm just yeah. like so happy knowing yeah. that this is what a child, this is what childhood could have been like. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I didn't experience it, but watching it from you know the, these little beautiful yeah. girls, it's I mean it's amazing. So mm. that just kind of gives me a, a vision of oh my childhood could have been this and this and that. Even though I went through all that, there's little time that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. You know, before war mm-hmm. uh, before war took place in our place, uh, like when my father was trying yeah. to teach me how to milk. A dairy cow, yeah, you know, on a daily, having my siblings there, mm-hmm. you know, grabbing a stool chair and sitting down, you know, tying up the cow so that they won't go. Uh, those are the moments that we enjoyed, yeah, you know, even though my whole life was, you know, through war, there's mm-hmm. other things that we did mm-hmm. that we enjoyed so we could just take our mind off from uh, yeah. what was happening, like playing soccer, playing soccer, uh, playing drums, and yeah. other activities within uh, the little friends that we had because we didn't know if tomorrow we were going to be there. Yeah. So we embraced that little moment that we had mm. with all the group of friends. So my life, my childhood, my upgrowing wasn't what I dreamed of. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm thankful for that. Wow. Because without that childhood, there wouldn't be Eric. Without that childhood, yeah, they wouldn't be the men that stood up there on TEDx Oklahoma City, right? Uh, this past Friday, without Eric, mm. there wouldn't be a voice of those voices who cannot be heard. Yeah, your pain you've you've taken the very difficult, painful moments, and you found purpose in it, right? Let's zoom back out and then you know zoom zoom in again. If we look from a purposeful life. It's very difficult to live a lot of purpose and to keep going if we don't have something that we've been through that's helped shape us. Right. For you, you talk about early on some of the difficulties that you experienced. You talk about it in in your talk, but let's say you know somebody hasn't heard that yet. Right. What happened? Okay, on that <clears throat> excuse me, on that night of mm-hmm. August 14. Yeah. Um that's when uh, the government officials whom we were interacted with looked up to us our guardian protectors and uh, mm-hmm. on a daily basis changed. You know, just these were your guardian protectors. Protectors. Wow. In the in our village. Yeah. On that day, uh, their facial and physical expression changed. Wow. And then because we will play with them and yeah. brag and connect with them as normal citizens. But on that day, they started surrounding the whole village now to protect it. Hmm. but to ensure that anybody who tried to escape would be captured. Now, you might not know the story behind that, what caused that. Yeah. So it was between uh, two political parties. Mm-hmm. The president, who was our president back then, Mobutu Seseko, mm-hmm. who was president from 1947 to 1997. And then there's uh, Pat- uh, Patrick, Lo- Lauren Patrick Desir, who came, Mm-hmm. Uh, who wanted to be? Who wanted to take over? Yeah, as a president. So he he 
connected with the different parties, mm. try to take over yeah. uh, the former president. But once he did that, the other parties that he connected with, mm. he told them to go back to their country. So those people said, no, we had an agreement. So right there, they had disagreement between each other. But mm-hmm. those people looked like Tussis. We are Tussis. Mm-hmm. So those people looked like Tussis. So when they had a disagreement, that president said on national television, kill anybody that looks like Randis or anybody that looks like Tussis or whoever that is Tussis. Yeah. And us, because we look like, we are Tussis and we look like Randis. Mm-hmm. That's what caused the war in our village. All the soldiers, yeah. once they heard it on national television, yeah. that's when they started attacking the village. Yeah. On that night, I remember me and my brothers were outside, and uh, the military, the army, uh, the military government started telling us to stay inside the house as the whole place was surrounded. Mm. And then a few hours later, we had gunfire, and that's when my dad came yelling, saying, "Come inside! We yeah. are under attack." Then we ran inside the house and we were told to stay in one room. Mm. Few moments later, soldiers came, started knocking on our door, yelling, open the door. That's terrifying. Very terrifying. And yeah. at that point, at that time, I was already knocked out because of fear. Mm. I was sleeping. Uh, so when they knocked on our door, my father opened the door. Mm. Uh, and they took my father, my mother, and all my siblings. Wow. And I was left behind because I had fallen asleep. They were all taken and you were left behind. Right. And how old are you again? Two. Two years old. So what happens next? After that, they thought that somebody else had grabbed me. Yeah. But a few moments later, soldiers came to steal our belongings. Mm -hmm. And they found me sleeping on the bed. And they threw me outside. Now, after that, I made my way to one of the disabled grandmothers in the community whom every child would go to. She was like mm. the god, uh, the godmother of the community. Yeah. Any Anybody that's gone through something, you would always run to that grandmother. Mm-hmm. So she was the first person that came on my mind. Yeah. So I went there because she couldn't leave her house due to her disability. Okay. So when I got there, she said, son, come on, hide behind the chair. Mm. No. Just in case soldiers came searching. A few <sighs> moments later, I think that was like... My darkest moment. Yeah. A few moments later, the maid, they went inside the house and they started shooting at the granny. But because of God's protection, mm. none of those bullets hit her. Like, I'm watching that. I'm witnessing that. Yeah. At that age. Yes. And I even ask myself at this point, how did I make, why, how come I didn't make no sound or anything? Mm-hmm. So after I saw that, she told me to go look for others. As I was exiting the house, boom, they caught me. Wow. And on that, on that night, my parents thought that I must be dead. Yeah. And I also didn't know if my family who had been taken away from me, mm. if they were alive or not. Wow. So I was just gripped by fear Yeah. in that man's hand, in those soldiers' uh, hands. Mm. And then I just like started praying, asking God to forgive me for mm. whatever reason that caused those people started attacking us. At two years old. Two years old. Two years old. And I asked myself a question. How I didn't get shot on the spot? How could I possibly survive? Man, he held me for about a minute or two, expecting to die, but it felt like eternity. 
and then that's when he took me to the men's facility mm. where my parents where my father was being held yeah. as captive and then he asked the question he goes whose son is this kind of lifted me up he said whose son is this and my father said yeah that's my son mm. that's when the man threw me through the window as my father saw me being cast through the window he caught me your and father he, caught you he caught me wow and he describes it as his most exciting moment of his lifetime mm. you know just being in a father's hand and yeah even they go there's a <clears throat> a story that goes behind that men's facility so every two hours they were not allowed to speak at mm. all if they were to speak soldiers would make they went inside the prisoner yeah. and say who was speaking if you don't say we just going to shoot all of you guys and yeah. then they would point to whoever was shooting and they would just kill him right away they wasn't allowed to speak and they would feed them i don't know if you know cassava cassava is uh mm. so they would feed them cassava with like uh that smells like cigarette. It's mm-hmm. like these soldiers were smoking and then I don't yeah. know why they would put it. So that's how my dad describes it, whatever they were eating in that men's facility. But later on, I was transferred to where my mother and my other siblings were being held. Yeah. So being in a mother's arm, I felt, I felt loved again. Yeah. I felt like, okay, I'm with my family. Whatever happens from now, I know where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Now, it was about, you know, two to three thousand of us in a huge empty field surrounded by soldiers and their plan was to start, you know start shooting everybody oh my goodness and these are the same soldiers that we viewed as you know as your guardian guidance. protectors yeah. yeah it's like everything just shifts right like yeah nothing then after that the commander who was in charge that's when he started beginning mm. counting from one to three yeah you know but when he reached two he stopped separated all males, females, young adults, children and infants mm-hmm. from each other yeah. so that he could have the right number of the people who had been killed to report to his superior officers. Insane, man. Crazy. <sighs> you know, after that, they began isolating men from women. Mm-hmm. Boys who were 18 years old were taken with elder yeah. men to yeah. uh, uh, church where they were being held as prisoners. Mm-hmm. And then women and the young kids were distributed in different classrooms yeah. in a primary uh, school where they were being held as prisoners as well. You know, the next day, that's when they separated women and those boys based on their age. Yeah. Boys who were 10 years, kids who were 10 years and younger stayed with their mother. Mm-hmm. And then boys who were between 11 and 17 were placed in a different classroom. Mm. So Sunday the 16th, soldiers came and gathered those boys and took them to collect firewood. And their plan was to slaughter every child. Oh my goodness. With the firewood they had just collected. That's torturing. Imagine yeah. just collecting woods, knowing yeah. that you are going to be burned with. Mm. It's like digging your own grave. I can't imagine. You know. So and then Tuesday was the day to, you know, mm-hmm. to execute everybody. Yeah. That was, you know, was being was in the in the prison. And then around, this is where God answered the prayers. Mm. On that Tuesday, the 18th, around 5 a.m., guns were fired. And everybody was just running, broke through the prison and running towards the forest. Everybody just took off. Took off. And my daddy got shot through that. 
I remember last uh, this first Friday, yeah, because uh, it was first time my dad uh, listening to my speech. It yeah. was the whole family, yeah. And then he goes, uh, when I got home later on, then I said, "Why didn't you mention that I got shot?" <laughs> I said, "Dad, I didn't want to go through that deep because I would yeah. have been crazy emotion on the stage, yeah, and knowing that you guys were gonna be there, mm. you know." I said, that "There's some stuff that I had to leave out, yeah, because I didn't want to be." emotion on the stage yeah you know but through all that journey my daddy got shot mm. and and then we looked back i was on my brother's shoulders mm. you know that's where he held me and then we looked back he said run for your life yeah don't worry about me so at that moment we didn't know if he was gonna make it or not wow. we left him you know running towards the forest but later on he found us you know we were happy again <sighs> So you're in the forest. Right. Walk us through what happens next. So we spend about a week yeah. uh, and a half in the forest, you know, hoping that this was temporary and mm-hmm. would soon come to an end. So we ate whatever, well, we ate whatever that was available mm-hmm. in the forest, including yeah. wildlife, you know, whatever yeah. animal that we, we could see, you know. Yeah. That was, that was our food. Uh, but on that Tuesday, more than 100 people lost their lives. Mm. You know, after the situation calmed down, uh, after that week and a half, we came back to our houses, hoping that life would go back to normal. Mm. But things didn't go according to the plan. Yeah. Uh, we ended up fleeing from our home, heading to Kalemi. Kalemi was about 180 kilometers from home, which is 112 away from home. And we traveled on foot to get there. Okay. Not. A lot of a lot of lives were lost throughout the journey mm. due to lack of uh, water, food. Yeah, uh, many families were separated, not knowing if they would survive or not. And the way it did, there's a lot of things that I didn't spoke about. I didn't talk about in mm-hmm. the TEDx. Yeah, throughout that journey, <clears throat> I remember once we got to Kalemi, mm-hmm. and then once the war broke out in Kalemi as well, we led to another little city in Congo. So we had to go through the boat. Mm-hmm. And there were two, I think, boats. One was called Giza, and I remember the other one. But those were Burundian boats. Okay. So us to cross uh, Lake Tanganyika yeah. to go to that small, we had to go three ways. Like our mm-hmm. family had to be divided by three, yeah. just in case one group don't make it, the others have a chance to make it. Mm-hmm. And then within those boats, they were just bombing us, mm-hmm. bombing. Wow. But because of God's protection, the bombs will land you know, off the boat into, wow. the, into the lake. Yeah. So all that, you know, it's, you can't talk about the whole story in yeah. that because you have, you know, that little you have 18 time, minutes. 18 <laughs> yeah. minutes. And also just like emotion that runs through yourself. Right. You know, I didn't want to tear down on the stage. Yeah. So I just kind of pull all info, all yep. that. But... One day, all that is gonna be out, you know. When yeah. hopefully, when I publish family book, you know, the whole family yeah. book. Uh, but once we got to Kalemi, we feel, uh, we quickly realized that it wasn't safe there either. Okay, you know, so we kept finding ourselves fleeing from place to place, mm-hmm. and we found ourselves in a refugee camp in Burundi. Okay, uh, living under the United United Nations High Commissioners for Refugees. Yeah. That's where I attended basic schools. And okay. that's where we learned how to play soccer and drums, connect with other friends. Yeah. Um, and then after that, another war broke 
mm. uh, in Congo, which caused yeah. more people to flee to Burundi, mm. uh, to Gatumba camp. So Gatumba camp was attacked on August 13, 2004. Yeah. And on that day, it's the day that every Minyamulenge, my tribe's name, mm. that will never forget in, in, in our life. You know, they killed more than, uh, they killed 166 people and wounded more than 300 people mm. in less than two hours. Mm. You know, you people, they couldn't define those people, yeah. but they had to define them by DNA. I mean, we're talking about blood, oh, you know, goodness. Draw, uh, streaming down like it's a river. Yeah. You know, kids, parents, you know, relatives, burned, every kind of torturing, you know. So after we saw that, uh, my family decided to seek safety by fleeing to Uganda. When we got to Uganda, we reported in at the police station, mm -hmm. uh, hoping to find a, a shelter where we could get some rest. Yeah. But things didn't go according to the plan as well. Remind me which part of Uganda you Kampala. Okay, yeah. Yeah, in Kampala, which is the capital city yeah. of Uganda. Which is, Kampala is, I mean, there's a lot happening in Kamp in Kim Kampala. I've yeah. been there and it is, I mean, you're talking during war even more. Like, right. the, it, it, it is fast paced, it is crowded, and it can be a little a little bit overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. when we got there, uh, reported in at the police station, after yeah. we asked for shelter and they didn't have it. Our parents mm -hmm. found like abandoned buses, and that's wow. where we spent three nights okay. sleeping in abandoned buses. After that, uh, the refugee agency told us to to go to another camp called Chakatu. Uh, we only stayed there for three days, few yeah. days, due to the rebels who were threatening our family. Yeah, uh, saying that you guys should leave this camp. If you guys don't leave this camp, we're gonna do the same thing that we did to your people in a previous camp. And they were telling me and my mm. brother. So when we heard that, we went and told our parents, hey, there's people threatening us. You know, if we don't leave this camp, yeah, they're willing to kill us. So our parents decided right away, go back. Went back yeah. to Kampala, to the refugee agency. And we told them how our family's being threatened and how they were willing to kill us. Mm. And the refugee agency said, if you guys can be in a camp, then there's no way we can help you guys. You know, so my family and I, we had nowhere to go. Wow. You know, from that moment, uh, my family and I became homeless as of September 27, 2004. You know, living under the mango tree for three months. You know, I remember I have a picture of that tree. You know, I should probably have used it for Ted. Because the mango tree is a big moment. It's a big moment. It's where my yeah. life shifted. Now I know everything that is happening. Now, like, yeah. everything, like, literally everything that is happening. So when when that happened and just living, like, it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Seven kids and two parents living under a mango tree, eating there, rain would come, it would rain on us, the mm -hmm. heat, all that. Literally, my parents would live from that tree, like 6 a.m., come back like 9 p.m., just because they try yeah. to find something for us to, yeah. to put in our system. But as a child, you question a lot. Uh, and I remember there was like high school below that, uh, mm. that mango tree. And I recall kids playing outside at like uh, lunchtime. Yeah. And I would run towards them because uh, I wanted to play among them. Yep. And at that, mo at that moment, 
at that time I didn't spoke no Luganda. So I didn't know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. But just because you see kids playing, just like, okay, let me run towards them. Yeah. So to be, you yeah. know, to play among them. But they would call me all sort of names because mm-hmm. I had no home to live in. And that would just eat me up. Man. That would make me question God and regret why I left my country. Saying sometimes I wish I could have been hmm. gone rather than experiencing this life that I'm experiencing right now. Yeah. I asked my parents hundreds of questions why our lives were that way. But sometimes it's better to not be to not have the right answer, to not be answered. Yeah. You know, because they didn't know as well. But I remember I think where the moment where everything shifted, where my father said, Son, come sit down with me. Hmm. Now let's have a conversation. And then he told me, he said, look in the sky and tell me what you see. I was like, Dad, I mean, see airplanes every time. You know, yeah. all I see is an airplane. Yeah. At that time, I didn't know what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. But I was like, Dad, all I saw was an airplane. What you mean? And then he said, one day you will be in one of those planes and you will mm-hmm. be in the United States of America. After all we've been, after all we've been through, yeah. seven kids with two great parents. Mm-hmm. That man still had faith and believed that one day God will open doors for our family. Wow. It's like, I didn't know how to answer that question. Like when he said that, mm-hmm. one day you'll be in those plans. How? When? Yeah. Who's going to help us? Who's going to do this? They just told us they're not going to help us. Look yeah. where we are. How? how? But just because of how strongly he's a believer, mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing his our background and having two phenomenal parents yeah. that are willing to do what it takes to protect their children. Yeah. Having that father figure, it shaped, it shaped me to be, I think it's, it shaped me to be the man that I am mm-hmm. uh, right now. But I still remember when, while we was still living under that mango tree, mm-hmm. we met uh, this man named Pastor Jackson. Incredible human being i i got a question but b- before we get into pastor right. jackson because i i feel like like this is a like to be under a mango tree to be to have come through all of the things that you've been through right and then to have that statement it's it's really really significant now you're a person who's been through more trauma than almost any person i've ever talked to i do want to say this pain is pain and so if you're watching this, if you're engaging in this conversation, it's not to say that one person's pain means that your pain isn't important. All pain is pain. And so, you know, if you know if someone loses a leg, it doesn't mean that when your uh, pinky gets crushed by uh, a hammer that it doesn't hurt or nor that it doesn't break. Pain is still pain and trauma is still trauma. Before we get into Pastor Jackson, right. I, I have th- have this question for you though, Eric. For you, people say often, "How could you believe in a God who lets bad things happen to good people?" Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, it, it, you've been through so much, and yet you talk about God, and you you talk from a perspective of faith, right? And I'm curious. How do you see this? Well, my background, I was born into a, a Christianity family. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer. You know, I'm a follower of Christ. Yeah. My daddy was a pastor for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, so I grew up in a, in a house of uh, yeah. God. 
and just throughout all the hardship mm. or even the good times. Yeah. You know, God is always there. Through the bad yeah. time, pray. Through the good time, yeah. pray. Through the bad time, be thankful. Through the good time, be thankful. You know, for me, having that father figure that is a pastor mm -hmm. yeah. and also just the whole family being a believer mm. and a follower of Christ, um, we knew that, I mean, as human being, we can't always say that we're going to go through the good yeah. time. But at the same time, when you're going through a bad time, God is, you know, shaping your life yeah. for the good ones. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's a saying that says, you know, you must know how to fail to become successful. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what you, if you don't know how it means to fail, then you don't know what is successful. Yeah, you know. And for me to go through all that bad time, God was preparing me for moments like this. Yeah. You know, for me to go through my childhood, mm -hmm. God knew that one day, one day, mm. my struggle will be a testimony, mm. a living testimony to many people. You know. So for the people who are going through a hard time right now. Mm. You know, I just want you guys to know that your today's struggle is your tomorrow's testimony. Mm. God is there. God is listening to you. Whatever situation that you're going through, whatever life, whatever life takes you, no matter where you end up, at, one person that will never leave your side is God. Yeah. You know, so like the question you asked me yeah. uh, on TEDx, you said, if I were to tell somebody that is living under the mango tree, mm. uh, one thing, what would it be? I would tell him the questions that person is asking me is mm -hmm. the question that I was asking. Yeah. You know, would I ever be elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Would my life shift? Yeah. You know, but one thing that I can say is if you believe and if you have faith mm. and hope that one day the man above that can erase all this, yeah. shift from darkness to light, mm -hmm. you know, I'll tell him it's okay to struggle. Yeah. We're human. Mm -hmm. It's ups and downs. But always remember that there's, you know, a ladder tunnel ahead of you. Wow. No, sir. Let me ask you just one step deeper. Right. When you're in a difficult situation, how do you stay thankful? I think that's simple for me because, I mean, for majority of the time, I feel like I went through, you know, dark, dark time. Yeah. And I think that is... Sometimes when you go through that time, it's God's testing you. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, when I'm going through that, that's when I get super close to God. Mm. Uh, to answer that question, my, my high school coach, uh, Coach D, shout out to Coach D. Uh, he's like a father figure to me. Shout out, Coach D. Yeah. yeah. So he used to tell me, make the line your best friend. Because I used to play outside wings. In other words, open up the field. When they pass you the ball, you know where the strike We're is. We're talking soccer. We're talking soccer right okay, now. Yeah. Make, you know, that line your best friend. Stay mm. close to the line. Open up the field. By the time they pass you the ball, you know where your forward is so he can score the goal. Yeah. You know, this is what I can tell other people. Make God mm. your closest friend. Allow yeah. God to be your best friend. Reach out to him. Mm. Let him hear your broken heart. Let him hear your cryness. Allow him to be your best friend. Once you do that, everything that is happening to you, he's just going to shift it to the brighter day or to the brighter future of yours. So wow. for me, when I'm going through the darkest time, that's when I get really close to God. Not mm. asking him why this is happening. Why I say, no, there's a reason why this is happening. Mm. There's a reason why you did that. You know, I'm thankful for this. It might not be how I wanted to go. 
but I'm thankful. You only know, you only have the reason or you know yeah. the purpose why you did that. Yeah. So for me, if I'm going through that case, I don't, I don't think I find myself like, I don't put myself down when I'm going through hardship. Or it can anything. be so easy to, to put yourself down and pull yourself down when you're going through difficult times. Right. Yeah. yeah. But for me, that's when I get close to God and allow him to move mm-hmm. me and allow me to allow him to lead me and follow him. So for me, it's easy, but that is, it comes within growing up in a Christianity family yeah. and knowing all that. So I just believe that every situation that I go to, every situation mm-hmm. that I, 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 go, I go through, it's because of him. Yes, yeah. the devil can attempt us, mm-hmm. you know, but be grateful, you know, in yeah. whatever situation that you're going through. You have an incredible faith that's been shaped through very difficult circumstances, situations. We were talking about Pastor Jackson just, right. just a, a few moments ago. So you meet Pastor Jackson right? and quickly kind of push us forward in, in the story. What, what happens from Pastor Jackson? So Pastor Jackson comes and finds yeah. us living under the mango tree. Yeah. And at that time, we kind of started, you know, picking up a little Uganda, yeah. how we can communicate with yeah. him. Hey, how are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. asking us where we come from. This is a completely different man that mm-hmm. it's not even our tribe yeah. or from Congo. And then just because we all shared that belief. Yeah. You know, and he took us and uh, he took us under his wings. Mm. Um, and one thing that that I always tell people uh, is that language is not what defines us, but the love. Love is what unites mm, us. That's good. Love is what brings language us. Language isn't what defines, defines us. us. Love is. Love is what yes, what brings us together, unites mm. us. Yeah. And to see what that man did mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. And took us in and literally taught us the culture, the Ugandan culture yeah. and the language and introduced us to the community in the mm-hmm. environment and taught us the basic life of Uganda. Yeah. And then he paid our housing for nine months. Oh my goodness. You know, a few years later he wow. passed away. Uh may he so may he rest in peace. Yes. Uh within those nine months that he paid on rent and then those few years that we known him, Pastor Jackson he is the reason that we felt comfortable uh, living in Uganda. Mm. At that moment, we felt like, okay, we have life again. Mm. You know, we have a purpose to live for. You know, somebody else that took us under his wings uh, and allowed us to be part of his community uh, and introduced us to all this basic life of Uganda. Yeah. And then now he's gone. What can we do? Mm. You know, after that, other families started coming. Our people started coming and, you know, teach them the little that we know because yeah. of Pastor Jackson. I got something for, from you. Now I'm going to take what little I do have right. and I'm going to share it with somebody else. Right. That's a different kind of mentality. A lot of times we, we try to hold on and say, no, like, this is mine. But as soon as you got something, you're looking, how can I help somebody else? That's true. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Pastor Jackson helps you all. An incredible man. And right. then at some point, you end up going from Uganda to America. Yeah. So uh, after that, my throughout the, uh, our experience living under the mango tree mm-hmm. and also uh, within the housing that Pastor Jackson yeah. paid us, our father would always go to the refugee agents, Okay, you know, asking them, asking them about our case. Yeah. Because they already knew everything. They had our yeah. case and all that. Um, and then one day, my father went and he found our name outside because mm-hmm. they used to post people's name outside so if your name is out there that means they had 
you know, view your case and they're willing to mm. take you in for interviews, uh, okay. asking you guys interviews. And the way the process worked, uh, they would pull everybody in a different room, okay. ask the same question. And if you guys give different response, your whole case is thrown away. Wow. Done. Stakes are high. Yeah. You got it. Everybody's got to be on, on the same page. On point. Yes. Done. It don't matter. I don't. I think the only child that, the only person that didn't answer those questions was my young brother. He was mm. too little. Yeah. Uh, but for us, before we go do those interviews, uh, we would sit as a family. Mm-hmm. If they ask you this question, this is the answer. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. You know, but because of likely, you know, with God being within us, mm. uh, we were able to answer all the question. Yeah. The same. Uh, we waited for our process took about four years, mm-hmm. you know, four years. And then when my father went and he found that we were, when the U.S. you know, mm. official finally viewed our case and were accepted to settle in Oklahoma. Yeah. When my father found out, because uh, he would walk like probably like almost three hours just to go to that mm. refugee agency. Uh, but at that time when he got there and he found out them when we were accepted, he yeah. got a taxi for the first time so mm-hmm. that he could rush home to tell us the news. Uh, and I remember that day uh, as if it was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, we got the news around early uh, September because we got here on September 19th. So we got the news around like September 5th mm-hmm. or something. Just letting us know that, mm-hmm. hey, you know, this day is the day you guys going to leave. And the school was about mm-hmm. to start in Uganda. Wow. And... Cause the semester thing starts like in September. Okay. And I remember when the school was about to start and then, well, they had actually started like a week yeah. and the teachers were like, Hey, why are you guys not coming to school? I said, nah, we're going to the States. Yeah. You know? So every child was like, ah, you're leaving it. Yeah. I said, man, and no, I'm, you know, I'm not yeah. about to come to school and have teachers, you know, be me for the, for the last time. I said, <laughs> nah, I'm taking off the, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. So when that happened, we went to school, uh, the whole family basically mm. announced that you know in a few in a few days or mm. a couple of weeks that we'll be uh, living coming to the United States. Yeah, you know every child was you know in tears, mm. uh, asking how you know or where. Don't forget us, mm. you know all this. And I many was a emotional day that yeah. day, knowing that you know those four years that I spent in Uganda mm. and the amount of cringe that I that that I had. And now willing to shift my life to a different, completely mm-hmm. uh, country. You know, they took it in, but at the same time, you know, the way we view the United States, it's not the way we found it, though. Yeah. You know, uh, so after we were granted those refugee status visa, uh, we came here on, we landed in Oklahoma on September mm-hmm. 17, yeah. uh, 2008, and we were welcomed by refugee resettlement agents, the wow. Catholic charities. Um, and the crazy story about it is like, well, the way they taught us mm. when we went back home, we're thinking, you know, New York top America, this is where yeah. we're going. Buildings, mm. you know, houses, free bikes. Welcome all to the city. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I remember when I got to the, uh, we were and then yeah. coming down, uh, cause we went to the Jamie's landing. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, this is it? Like. <laughs> This is it. Well, yeah. it was different compared to our home. And we were grateful mm. not to have everything that we found, but just the culture, yep. the environment. Culture uh, shock. The language, yes. all that. No, it was so difficult. But 
a month later, we met many people. Among mm. those people was Brad Bendy. Brad Bendy, uh, amazing. Shout out to Brad Bendy. Shout out Brad. Kim and other. Shout out Kim. Along, I can't forget Paul and Jennifer, who took us under their wings as well, mm. taught us how to play instruments. Amazing Sparrow team. Oh yeah, all the way through. All the way through. Yep. You know so, and then when I met Brad. When I remember the first time Brad came into our house, mm. at this point we didn't spoke no English, so my parents said, you know, they go, "What is this white man doing here?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, "That's great." I'm, like, I'm asking the same question. Yeah, I have no yeah, idea what yeah. he's doing here. You yeah. know, and we didn't know how to communicate. Yeah, and that takes me back to what you know. Hmm. Uh, that I said, lang- language is not mm. what defines us. Yep. Love is what unites us. You know. Yeah. The love Brad showed us, That's uh, good. the commitment, his time, you know, yeah. time consuming effort that he put it in, funding jobs for our parents, yeah. uh, taking us to our first restaurants here mm-hmm. in the States and teaching us the basic life of America. Wow. Uh, just seeing that, he allowed us, he made us feel welcomed. Yeah. Uh, he, we took him in, we welcomed him in our house. He welcomed in, he welcomed mm-hmm. us in his, uh, his house. We shared, uh, our culture differences yeah. and our beliefs. Uh, and then he established, you know, the spell project mm. and he came, well, he came and asked our family, he said, I want to start an organization, nonprofit organization named Sparrow. Sparrow hadn't even started yet. No. Wow. You have him. And then I asked him a question. I said, what does Sparrow mean? Mm. He said, it's a symbol of hope. Come on. From that moment. Yeah. It's like, here, I mean, let's do this. Hope is so important. You know, I know you're deeply involved with Sparrow. Uh, Sparrow has an incredible impact on our community, Eric. I'm thinking like when we are talking about hope, when we're talking about the things you've been through, why is hope so important for you? Uh, That goes back to my father. Mm. You know, when I asked him him all those questions, just because when he said to look in the sky and tell him what I see, he believed and had hope. Yeah. You know, that one day God will open doors. Yeah. You know, when when he said that, he even though we were mm. living in that situation, but he knew the same God yeah. that protected us throughout the early childhood of mine and their life, yeah. God that protected him when he got shot, yeah. he had a purpose for mm. our family. Yeah. You know, so when Brad said it's the symbol of hope, yeah, there was a purpose, mm. something that was going to shift in this environment that we're living in a community in, yes. in Oklahoma and all the refugees that come from all over the world mm-hmm. when they get here and when they met Brad, Brad is like, he's a walk, he's a walking hope. Or if I can, he's a walking it. man of hope. A, yeah, yeah. You know, so once he, once you sit down with Brad mm-hmm. and tell you, just feel like the connection yeah. between both of you, yeah. you know, and he allows you, you feel like I belong here mm-hmm. because of that man. Yeah. You know, so when he told me about that and says the symbol of hope and allowed mm-hmm. me to be part of Spell mm-hmm. and in a, and serving with a group of friends that whom I yeah. call family today. Yeah. You know, uh, he was the first person that made us feel welcomed mm. in Oklahoma. What he man. was the first person that introduced us to the environment, to yeah. the community uh, until this day. You know, yeah. so Spell, you know, it's always going to be on my heart. Yeah. I don't, I'm part of them, you know, since day one. And I think yeah. I'll continue, you know, mm. uh, being uh, with them. Uh, so once that shifted, even school was, even mm. going into schools, 
Brad was the one, you know, running through yeah. all that. Yeah, shout out to, you know, Brad and the whole organization. Um, yeah. Without that man, I don't know if we would yeah. have felt comfortable in this state. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I think hope is oxygen to the human soul. Right. If we don't have it, we're, we're in deep trouble. Throughout your story, you've been through some really difficult things, Eric. Things that are, you know, like like I said earlier, it's beyond the average trauma that that most people experience. Going through what you've experienced, I'm thinking some people who are listening are in a difficult situation. They might feel like their home life has been under attack. They might feel like they're in a forest. They're hiding. They may feel like they're in transition. Maybe they're under their proverbial mango tree, right. or maybe they've transitioned in and they're not quite sure what the language is and what the culture is in the new environment. When you think about building hope into someone's life, sharing hope with someone today, if you were going to share just one thing that that someone could do to continue forward in hope, what would you share with them today? Yeah, oh, that's simple to answer. Um, yeah. Before I answer that question, you might ask, why did I decide to uh, speak on uh, on my story? Why did I decide to share my my story? That takes me back when I was 11 years old. Mm, I think yeah. that was the last time I was doing interviews in Uganda before we came. Yeah. And one woman asked me, he said, she said, son, when you grow up, what do you want to be? Mm. I looked around in that room yeah. and I said, with God's ability, I want to be able to come back and give back to those who are going through hardship. Mm. At 11 years old, Yeah. did I know how it was going to happen? No. Did I have any idea when? No. But because of that hope. So one thing that I can tell uh, anybody that's yeah. going through or what I've been through is just one thing that I would want them to mm. do is just pull a smile on their face. Yeah. And it doesn't take hard, it doesn't take anything to give somebody yeah. Uh, a, a extra boys will give somebody hope. Just mentioning their name, yeah. that gives them hope that, yeah. oh, someone else out there is mentioning my name. Yeah. That means my life matters. I mm -hmm. can grow up to yeah. be who I want to be. Because yeah. at the end of the day, there's in our people, mm -hmm. everybody been through that. Yeah. My story is not, it's not better mm -hmm. than anyone else. Mm -hmm. you know. But because I have given second chance, opportunity to speak up, my story is bigger than me. Mm, it's yeah. bigger than my family. Yeah. You know, it's bigger than our tribe. Yeah. But also this gives them a hope that it gives them, encourage them mm -hmm. to go out there and express their feelings, yeah. be vulnerable because there's stories to be told. Mm -hmm. And those kids' voices who cannot be heard, I'm being their voices. Yeah. If I don't stand up, then who will? Yes. If I don't speak up, then who will? Mm. If I don't fight against all the odds that are in front of me, who will? Mm. So powerful. Those kids or those people who are going through life, they need our help. Mm. And our help is not by giving. Yeah. It's just mentioning their names all over the nation. Mm. And that gives them ability, hope, and faith. Oh, that one day I can grow up yes. to be the person that I want to be. Because at the end of the day, those are the future, uh, tomorrow's future. Yeah. Tomorrow's future. And they're going to grow up to give back because somebody else gave them a second chance. That's so good. You know, so my story is not just about me. It's for everybody that is going through hardship. So if you're going through hardship, all I can say is, you know, lean in, lean to God. Mm. Allow him to, to lead you. Allow him to move you the way he wants you to move, not the way you want to be moved. And your life is just going to transform to anywhere that you mm. never thought of. You know, so for me, 
I believe that that my story, I hope that my story, you know, goes and touches people and transforms them into who who they want to be. Yep. Um, this is something that I dreamed of. Yeah. Big time. Dreamed of. But I never knew when that dream was going to come true. Yeah. And then when you hit me up this year, going back, literally like, it had been like, and now, prior now, before you had texted me this year, mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend. I said, I'm supposed to do a TEDx 2020 by COVID, you know, postponed yeah. it. We don't know when it's going to happen. One hour later, you hear me. And then I text, <laughs> I text that person like, David, just, you know. Yeah. Then when I seen that, I told him my brother, David. Yeah. It's like, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. It's time. You it's know. Time. So that, when, when, when I seen that, I was yeah. just like, wow. You know, so that takes back to being you know a leadership and all that like everything that i learned all my story just having that question mm-hmm. oh do i really want to put my story out there because wow. most of the things that i said that mango tree only two families in my whole country or in my whole tribe knew about it but now the whole universe is going to hear about it come on you know what i mean so everything that i went to all my yeah. oklahomans I think they only knew besides the spell project and the mm-hmm. people that I'm close to, they probably knew 15% of Eric. Yeah. Now the whole 100% is out. Yeah. You know, so I hope that whoever that is going through uh, hardship and feel yeah. like they're living in a bubble and they feel like they're scared to come mm-hmm. out and share their story, allow them to go out there and share. You never know who you're going to inspire. Because at the end of the day, this is our life. This is our struggle. But the, the good thing is that it's our testimony. Mm. There's a there's a quote uh, by Paulo, who is like a Brazilian artist. He said, "You don't drown in you don't drown by jumping into the river. You submerge by standing it. Mm. So if you're living in a bubble and you're not willing to express yourself or asking mm. for ad, uh, advice, you're just gonna find yourself. You're just gonna drown yourself within that bubble. Get out." express it yes. allow somebody else yes. to come into your life share what you feel like you want to share open up allow those people to open up because at the end of the day i'm a living human mm. that is wearing a different costume that i never asked for wow my life or where i come from sometimes i ask myself how how life have been if i was still there but again that goes back god yep knew this moment was gonna yep. happen you know so the costume that I wear every day, it's a different costume, but mm-hmm. I love it. You love it because you're getting to make the impact. Right. Eric, you've given it an amazing talk just this past weekend. You're out here impacting leaders. You're here impacting the, the community. I believe your message is going to shape the entire world. And so thank you today for pouring into our leaders and the leader growth community. And I want to say to all of you, Leader Growth is designed to help you overcome challenges and experience transformation. You've heard the significant challenges that Eric Rutengabu Muhizi has gone through in his life and yet has overcome them, and it's a story of transformation. I believe your story can be one of transformation as well. I look forward to being back here next week with a fantastic guest. Until then, love hard, live full, and lead strong. This is our declaration. We are locked in, all in and full out. We are the roar. You think you can run with us? Let's go. I get lion in my blood. You were just a cub. I roll with the king. I am guaranteed to dub. What it is.
I see you trying to sell me some fear, but I ain't.